0: Welcome to the Guelph Politicast. I'm Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico. Today I talked to Aaron Caton and Michelle Richardson, or rather, I did talk to Aaron Caton and Michelle Richardson several weeks ago. As you may know, these two women are among the five new city councilors who were elected on October 21st. And on Open Sources Guelph, the politics show I co-host on CFRU and is posted on this channel every Monday, we make it a point to talk to all members of city council regularly. Having said that, it seemed fitting to kick off the new term of council by talking first to the five new councillors, and we did that by working our way around the horseshoe from one to six. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to collect those initial interviews here, starting with the new reps from the odd-numbered wards. Getting to know the new players is the topic of this week's Guelph Politicast. Now, change is never easy, except when two longtime city councilors decide that they're not going to run for reelection anymore. In that case, change is pretty easy. Both Bob Bell and June Hofflin, the previous Ward 1 and Ward 3 city councilors respectively, were elected in 2006. So, anyone who was going to replace them had some pretty big shoes to fill in terms of all that experience and longevity at City Hall. Caton and Richardson also ended up joining council at a time of unique challenges and long-simmering issues that are going to demand some kind of resolution in the coming term, and then the provincial government really piled it on in the weeks after the election and the weeks before the inaugural meetings of the new term. So a lot was happening as Caton and Richardson were scheduled to appear on Open Sources. So on this week's edition of the Guelph Politicast, you're going to have to be prepared to relive the trauma of Bill 23 in real time. So first, we're going to talk to Councillor Caton, who's going to tell us about the things that made a difference for her in the election campaign, her experiences during council orientation, and what parts of Ward 1 she showed her fellow councillors as problem areas. We will also talk about the working relationships with her and her fellow counselors, including ward mate Dan Gibson, increasing representation for people with disabilities on council, and some of the initial moves she was planning for her first few weeks as a counselor. And finally, yes, we talked about Bill 23, how provincial directives might interrupt the well-laid plans that she campaigned on, and the things she was looking forward to in terms of council business beginning in mid-November. After that, we will talk to Councillor Richardson about how she, as the one woman running in Ward 6, was elected over several male challengers, plus we talk about being thrown into the deep end with that Bill 23, whether the job of city councillor is becoming something different because of provincial meddling, and whether the agenda she ran on as a candidate is in danger because of those big provincial changes to council business. And finally, Richardson will talk about how she'll manage her day job at Wellington County with her new duties, some recent development issues in her ward, and yes, how she feels about Bill 23 and how it will impact the work of city council in the months to come. So I caught up with Erin Caton and Michelle Richardson late last year via Zoom. Okay, Erin Caton, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Uh, first of all, congratulations on being the new Ward 1 City Councilor. I haven't had the chance to say that to your face, um, so to speak. So, um, big accomplishment, a lot of competition, and uh, just congrats for uh, running the gauntlet and and winning the race.
1: <laughs> oh, thank you very much. I owe it all to everybody who got out there and voted.
0: Well, let's, let's uh, explore that a little more. Uh, thoroughly, then, um, from your point of view, uh, what made the difference for you as a as this as a ward one candidate? There was a lot of stiff competition in your ward, uh, so why why did the people choose Aaron Caton as opposed to one of the uh, four other challengers?
1: Well, there's actually a lot of really good people running, so um, I, I think it just has to do with who you meet and who you connect with at the door. Um, I did a lot of online media and um, that was kind of the one thing that I think that I did a slightly differently than uh, everybody else. And just the, I guess the power of Instagram, who knew? <laughs> <laughs> uh, now I literally was just walking for three and a half months With uh, a couple of volunteers and just going door to door door to door to door. And uh, trying to meet as many people as I could. So I'm glad that I got to chat people up and actually tried to help them with their issues. Mm -hmm. And that was one of the things that actually made a difference.
0: Mm -hmm. So we're talking on Monday. Uh, The the big inaugural is tomorrow night as we're recording. Um, But you spent most of the weekend in orientation. What can you tell us about? what the orientation experience has been like uh, just in terms of maybe what you're learning and um, are you doing trust falls and things like that in orientation?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I I can't get into too many of the details because it was a closed session, Mm -hmm. Um, but we were just learning the, the general, what you need to know as a counselor, who the staff are, who you're supposed to talk to new processes that they're kind of putting in. There's a lot of really cool stuff that's going to be coming out. And I'm really excited about that. But I can't talk about it yet. <laughs> and um, there, like, no trust falls. <laughs> but there's a lot of, you know, speakers and um, talking to each other about how we can improve things and work together. And then um, on the second day, we kind of did tours and we did a bus tour where all of us Picked out areas in our wards for stuff that we wanted the other counselors to see and like various issues that we wanted to solve um we got to stop at the uh world's worst bus stop and i got to show people the sidewalk to nowhere which is all near the library on the east end right and um (laughs) that was kind of funny (laughs) as a a general tour stop Uh, but they we also got to go and meet up with different groups that are doing a lot of really cool things in Guelph. And we went to Tennessee and we had a food tour by Tasty Tours. There is the, um, I'm gonna mangle some other names probably because there are just so many groups there, but um, food.ca did some things and the Harvest Impact Market and our, um, uh, I'm trying to remember their name. They're the sustainable food kind of group. They right. popular the food economy. Right. Um, But they're all really, really great. And then we got to go to different restaurants and things, which made me feel a little bit spoiled.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It does sound very spoilery. Um, Yeah. yeah. Uh, In terms of some of those things, I I mean, I'm curious. um, On that bus tour, you mentioned a couple of things. But, you know, in terms of drawing your fellow counselors' attention to stuff going on in Ward 1, I assume this is probably based on some of those conversations you were talking about too. So, I mean, what are the, I guess what are the important stops in Ward 1 that you wanted to highlight? Uh,
1: Well, there's a lot of inaccessibility and um, safety hazards and infrastructure um, that's missing, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have this general rule um, that we've been following up till now where you a lot of infrastructure is dependent on development in the area, because doing it as the city, there might be some throwaway costs, but um, one of the things I was trying to showcase in my campaign is that people still need to use things. And especially when you're waiting for things like the Loblaws, which is kind of like the Loch Ness monster (laughs) of developments at this point, Um, you know, it's gonna be a long time till you see it, right? So we can't just wait on those things in order to make things usable for people who are taking the bus and need to cross the street.
0: I'm curious where, where you think the worst bus stop is because I have some ideas in the Northwest industrial area.
1: (laughs) Well, there's some that are really bad there too. And I I talked about, um, you know, getting bus shelters and we are discussing different things along those lines and what the barriers are for that and how um, without infrastructure in areas like the, the industrial zones that we're limiting the types and amount of people that can work there right so uh we need to kind of be cognizant of that when we're trying to build back stronger and and do all of the things that we need to do to keep our ca- economy working here
0: i wanted to ask you about uh collaborating with your other the other ward one counselor dan gibson have you guys had a chance to put your heads together about where you want ward one to go
1: yeah um so because i don't unmask indoors. Um, I was eating outside for m- my food stops. And uh, and like before, I don't think anyone realized I was doing that in the <laughs> initial station. But then uh, Dominique, she's like, are you eating outside? I'm like, yeah. She's like, I'm gonna eat you with you. So like everybody took a turn with me kind of outside. <laughs> um, and and uh, Dan and I got to have uh, a great conversation when we were at the last stop and we talked about the different priorities we both have. And uh, we were trying to think of different compromises we need to kind of get each other to support those. And for the most part, we agreed on everything. So it wasn't really that much compromise, (laughs) but um, (laughs) we've got a lot of really cool things that we want to get done for people. So we're just trying to think of the best path to do that. And, you know, when you've got a job where you're both sharing, uh, resources and trying to help the same people, like how do we coordinate that and kind of seamless and easy on all of the residents.
0: Just speaking on a personal note, it's going to be a bit weird for people in Ward 1 to have uh, 2 counselors councillors who'll respond to their emails, but that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Um, I want to get to issues. Um, I noticed over the weekend they added a special meeting to the agenda for November 23rd, which is going to be about Bill 23, the More Homes Building Faster Act. Um, I'm curious, in the midst of all the prep you're doing about, you know, just being a city councilor, have you had a chance to really sort of dig into bill 23 and um, made a note of any concerns you might have?
1: Well, it just generally looks concerning. Like I haven't had a chance to dive too, too deep into it. Um, We had a chance to ask staff for kind of clarification and details um, that we needed to kind of talk about that bill. And um, how it's going to impact. Well, so I have a lot of things that I'm waiting for the data on. So, before I can like give a full overview of how I feel on it, but um, it doesn't look good, right? That's (laughs) a really short timeline to try to pass things. And it seems like it's going to have a huge cost impact on -hmm. the city and not necessarily result in more housing than we already have approved because. I'm waiting on the numbers for this, but that's one of the things I was asking about was how much housing that we already have approved that just hasn't started development and why those things are happening. So um, I don't think that it actually meets the goal that they claim it's supposed to. Mm. I don't think it's going to really help us in terms of getting housing.
0: Do you feel a bit like Doug Ford and the provincial government sort of thrown you into the deep end, not that you weren't in the deep end already, but you know, you get elected on Monday and they release this huge piece of legislation. is essentially an ominous bill on Tuesday. You know, that it's a lot to sort of put on not just you as a new counselor, but you know, the, the hundreds of new counselors around Ontario.
1: Yeah. It, it does kind of feel like there is a lot of um, timing. Timing. <laughs> that was kind of put into that, you know, right. like as soon as you get elected and then you're like, oh, deal with this fire. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm not going to necessarily comment on who lit that match and why.
0: But <laughs> Fair <laughs> it's
1: enough. something that I now have to put out. Um, but it's, I think that from what I've been just hearing online from all of the other people who are also like across the province, that no one's particularly thrilled about it. Mm-hmm. So I think that um it, it's not going to help more than it's gonna hurt.
0: Right. And I mean on top of this, this isn't like city of Guelph. I city the city of Guelph doesn't pass legislation. It passes bylaws. But I mean it's not city of Guelph legislation. And you know, with these things there's always a question about what kind of influence that, you know, municipalities can have when the province decides to you know, rewrite the rules midstream. Um, is that a consideration for you? Just like how much leverage you and the council as a group can exercise when trying to, I guess, get the the provincial government to have a sober second thought about this?
1: Well, I think just like with anything that the provincial government does, um, council has kind of a duty to respond, right? And then you make the you know, everybody else, local voters, aware of how that's going to impact them and their property taxes and their own personal developments, and, like, how that impacts, like, every permit issue. Not like, you know, those things are happening really quickly right now anyway, mm. but when, as soon as you take um, one group of developers and you make them the priority, then everyone else is going to get put on the back, like, the back list, right? So you're just going to either make the situation where you have to like hire a whole bunch of staff and that's going to make the permits all go up and that makes permits go up for everybody, not mm. just developers. Right. So this is something that's going to impact people all the way down the line. And we need to kind of make people aware of the actual output.
0: Right. When you're, when you are sort of out there campaigning and people are talking about concerns about housing, and given, you know, sort of what you understand about Bill 23, is um, is there any overlap at all between what the provincial government thinks is solutions and what the general public, like the problems the general public want solved?
1: Well, there's, it doesn't look like in that bill that there's any mandate for affordability or accessibility or anything. It's just, you know, they want you to pass permits real quick or else. Right. That's, that's the crux of it right so there it's not going to actually help you get low income housing like those kinds of things aren't going to get cheaper when you have to make the permit costs you know x number of percent higher in order to get it done in the two weeks that they've got mandated right right and um permits are not hard to go through like they do not take long if you actually follow the rules that are in there right like it's only when you have Um, deviations from what you're allowed to build that you come to us at all, right? right? And so um, it's all about things that don't fit the model that we've set out. And if they don't fit that model, then you kind of have to be a little bit suspicious as to why they need to have that extra two weeks push to get through. It's not because they're you know, a bunch of accessible apartments and they're income and they've got ample parking and they're gonna have, you know, grocery stores in the bottom and stuff like that. That's not what's happening. It's gonna be things that are gonna be creating extra density and, um, you know, changing the light in your yard and like all of the things that you don't want to happen. Right. Um, those are the kinds of things that are gonna try to get pushed through.
0: Oversight is not bureaucracy, I think, is, yeah. is what we're kind of getting at too. Um, so, I mean, with all these considerations, um, I mean, it's a lot to put on even the experienced counselors' had to come in and on November 23rd, first real meeting and say, you know, how do you want to respond to the provincial government? So um, have you I mean, you, you said you're still waiting for some information from staff. So, I mean, do you have any consideration for what you want to see come out of that meeting in terms of of direction? Like, even if it's just like, hey, provincial government, slow down. You know, we're it's our first day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like, I, I don't think that it, it seems kind of heavy-handed, right? And it seems like an overreach on their behalf. Right. There's a lot of things that just over the last couple of governments have been pushed back onto municipalities and pushed back onto mus- municipalities in terms of responsibility and funding. And uh, then we kind of get put in this position where we get half the control but all the responsibility for the outcome. And um, that doesn't seem, not only is it just not fair, but it's not effective, right? Mm. Because you end up with a bunch of things that are done improperly and no one's happy at the end, right? right? So there's a reason why there's a process and there's a reason why it takes a certain amount of time to get things done is because you have to look at the outcomes on, you know, uh, first nations and other indigenous lands on climate, on impact on your residential neighbors, on the economy, on the transit system, on the sewer system, like endless, endless lists of things that need to kind of go through. Right. So just saying, put housing and it will happen. Mm-hmm. Like we already have piles of approved permits right. and they are not building them. So we have to ask why.
0: Right. That's the other side of this, too, is that um, there are a number of units that have been approved and we, we people who work in construction will tell you that there are issues in construction beyond just the desire to build things like having the, the, the having a, a number of people to build things or the cost of supplies and things like that. Yeah. I want to talk about some of your other priorities. I'm not going to name them because although I did look over your Politico questionnaire last night, just to sort of refresh things, I'm not going to ask you to remember promises you made two months ago after everything that's happened. But I I wonder if you have given thoughts about how you want to sort of turn maybe the, the important things to you into a reality, even if they're not on the council agenda, have you started to give that any thought?
1: Well, a lot of the things that I want to do aren't actually up to council to do At all like Mm. in like aside from the infrastructure pieces and stuff like that like um i I think that being a counselor puts you in a unique position where um like if you want to volunteer your time to be the coordinator between a bunch of different groups and then try to help them get spaces in city-owned zones to do the things they need to do to help um wealth then that's the time to do it right Mm -hmm. So, like, there's a lot of pieces in terms of getting food to people um, that I want to kind of move forward. And this is one of the things I was talking to um, uh, Dan about. Uh, I want to try to get, like, kind of pop-up farmers markets in different locations and have groups like um, food.ca and The Seed and other markets to kind of be in those spaces so that we have a sliding scale produce options for people where those who can afford to pay the full prices are helping and then those who can't in the same neighborhood are gonna get the benefit of those subsidies, right? And especially throughout Ward 1, there's not a lot of places to shop. So we're mm-hmm. just discussing the different areas that that could be possible and working with our school partners potentially to have some like weekend markets and school gyms and things. Um, just to kind of give options that don't really exist right now mm. and have the local groups who are doing those and the farmers um, actually get them a space to sell their stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. That would be interesting. And of course, um, city space uh, or city owned space um, would be an issue because there isn't uh, a lot of that, it's, you know, so schools, I mean, that's that's why you would be looking at schools is there isn't yeah. City of city-equal <laughs> facilities everywhere, so, yeah.
1: Yeah, like, there, there's also, like, the community groups like um, Greenshell East and, and some of right. the other folks. And then, um, as weird as it might feel in the beginning, but, like, the library, you know, it wouldn't be a huge <laughs> market. It would be mm-hmm. like a couple of different tiny booths sort of thing. But there, there are some spaces, and recognizing the holes... In the mm. neighborhood is a good mm-hmm. part there because you can kind of see where we ne- need to kind of rely on different partners um because we don't have a, a spot there for people to go.
0: Mm-hmm. So, just to remind people, uh, as we're recording here on Monday, you are still technically a counselor elect or a counselor designate. I'm not sure what the exact term is. I think they're changing. Yeah, counselor, but...
1: counselor elect.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. um, you're getting sworn in officially tomorrow night. So, what are you excited about um, in terms of becoming a, a city councillor? And what about becoming a city councillor is maybe making you nervous?
1: Um, well, just getting to be able to help, right? Because <laughs> um, like, it's, I've been trying to help just as a person for a long <laughs> time, but you have a lot more sway when you're a city councillor, right? And so I want to be able to, get in there and start asking questions and um, you get to be on different committees and boards when you're a city councilor. And that's something that you don't have access to otherwise. Right. And, um, everyone's kind of got like the pieces that they want to do. And I don't know exactly where I'm going to end up, but like I super want to be on the public health board. And <laughs> <laughs> there's uh, a lot of things that I think that I could um, give perspective on in those meetings
0: mm-hmm. um is that what you're excited about or what you're nervous about
1: oh i'm excited about that
0: okay yeah. <laughs> The what makes um, you nervous
1: <laughs> it makes me nervous not a lot of things make me nervous because <laughs> <laughs> i'm really excited by challenge right like i'm not like a conflict adverse kind of person so like even that kind of seems fun to me sometimes um but i think that it's more about not being able to do the things that I wanted to do. Right. Mm. Like there are things like this bill that's upcoming that kind of takes focus from everything else that we could have started moving on. And then you have to right. deal with those fires and put the other things that might be more helpful to the side while you kind of handle them. Right.
0: Right. So I can uh, dig that.
1: Yeah. I don't want to like, I think I'm just the thing I asked, I guess I'd be most nervous about, it would be disappointing people.
0: Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. You mentioned Board of Health, um, and I'm curious, uh, and I mentioned this in something I wrote for Guelph today, that, you know, having someone who identifies as a person with disabilities might change the game when it comes to looking at issues of accessibility yeah. in town. Yeah. I, uh, You know, do you feel like now taking up that representation um like are, are 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 you feeling that that might be able to be something you can make reality that having that representation on a council might change the game that in in a way that you and other people have been asking for especially in the last few years
1: yeah and i i think you know it's it's not ideal but mm. um, sometimes having someone who you know personally makes a bigger difference than just knowing there's an issue at large,
0: right. right?
1: Like when you have your first gay friend sort of thing <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, and, and for a lot of people, I'm going to be their first non-binary friend. I'm going to be their first friend who has like a lot right. of disabilities. And, um, like, for example, we went on a bus tour and I usually can't go on the bus mm. because the bus is not accessible to me. And, uh, they even like let it air out for two days after they cleaned it with the products they cleaned it and it was still
0: it's like, still noticeable
1: dirty, <laughs> for me and like they had asked everybody to be sent free and stuff like that and that was fine everyone did really well on those requests but like those are the kinds of things that they now see happen right, right? and like even with the two days like that product was not going to get <laughs> out of there and i was trying to explain to them the different things that will still work instead of those like peroxide because it
0: Turns mm. into
1: oxygen and it doesn't linger, but it still does the disinfecting and stuff. So,
0: interesting. It's just yeah. a
1: choice for products, and it, you only know what you know, right? And mm. especially with the disability, like that one, um, it's not super well known. There isn't a lot of information out there for people to kind of go on. So, um, it's just an awareness right issue, right? But now that they all saw it in an action, then potentially that kind of moves it forward to getting a scent free policy on the bus and changing out the products to be something that's safer for people who have sensitivities to ride on.
0: Right. Well, you are being seen and, and it was nice to see you here on, on the show as a new counselor. So I'm going to wrap up by just asking you, uh, because we don't usually ask this question on the show. Um, but since, uh, you you are new and you have new contact information i'm just going to ask you to tell uh your new constituents how people can find you out there on the internet
1: so on twitter i am now counselor katon i still have erin but that's going to be a bunch of stuff that's not wealth related so if you want just wealth stuff counselor katon also counselor katon on instagram see i had forethought there uh, my Facebook is going to be the same as the one that I was using for my campaign. I'm just going to switch it over because I didn't have that much stuff on it. And my email is now erin.caton at wealth.ca.
0: Thank you, Erin Caton, for your time and good luck with uh, the start of the new term. Thank you very much. So, Michelle Richardson, thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Thanks for having me, Adam.
0: Uh, how about this to start? Um, we're going to talk about issues, but uh, just to sort of revisit the campaign for a minute. Um, I couldn't help but notice that uh, the outgoing Ward 3 counselor was female and that uh, your new constituents voted for you, but one female on the ballot um to to replace them or, or to replace june i should say or succeed june uh is that something you feel that uh you know maybe ward three needs a, a mother figure or uh just needs a you know a f- female presence to, to represent them on council that uh you know not not to say anything about your platform or your abilities or or you know the other things that might have weighed but it, i just i find it interesting that kind of coincidence
2: well, you could have went with sister as opposed to mother figure.
0: Fair enough. So, fair enough.
2: <laughs> no, that's okay. Um, I I don't know. I I tend not to think too much in those um, concepts of you know a female elected or a male elected. I was hoping that it was just elected based on the best person who people thought were the best person for the job.
0: Hmm. No, I I agree. I just I, the coincidences I find interesting. Um, it
2: is for sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, let's let's talk about being thrown into the deep end. Um, and I think uh, I've heard some of your colleagues already talk about this. I've already talked to some of your colleagues about this. But in terms of, you know, getting elected one day and then the province is announcing big sweeping changes to all these acts that govern planning in, at the municipal level, um, are you feeling like maybe in so much as anyone can be, pre- be prepared for a job of city councilor like were you adequately prepared for just the the size of the the storm that's been kind of thrown at you like is this i guess what i'm asking is is this still kind of the job you were were running for
2: yes and no i i understand you know we all knew there were going to be housing issues we were really not prepared for bill 23 and the enormous size of it and the enormous impacts on a municipality and it takes me back to you know back in the 90s when we had a lot of the housing downloaded from the province Um, I wasn't in a role there that I was very involved but I remember uh, hearing about it when I joined municipal government as an employee 20 years later, people saying they were still struggling with the impacts that uh, we had received when we, that when the housing was downloaded to the province or to the municipalities. Um, so the fact, I, I, I'm just glad that we were fully aligned as a council and everybody knew that this was going to have really significant impacts, was going to be you know something that we didn't want to support and we were unanimous in that, which was really nice. But it's still there's still a lot to learn regarding on how all of those impacts are going to affect, in fact, affect our city, mm-hmm. and uh, that's going to take a lot of time for you know the new councilors to really get their, be able to wrap their heads around.
0: In regard to that unanimity, it didn't seem to have much of an effect because it's they they finished the the committee consultations uh, on Friday. We're talking on Tuesday. It it was passed, received royal assent on Monday. Um. So the United front didn't seem to work. So I guess, you know, in in terms of your thinking, I mean, what's, what's next for like, what can the municipalities do now? What can Guelph do now?
2: And the interesting thing you said, the United front didn't work and it wasn't just a city of Guelph United front. It was a 444 municipality United front that fell completely on deaf ears. Um, and we can only move forward. We can only do what we have to do to the best of our ability. And I'm not even sure what that's going to look like. You know, the staff's going to have to go back and, and look at, uh, um, you know, what, do the deep dive into what really needs to be done and how we can do it. And uh, I'm really concerned for the impact that it's going to have on the residents and and, we, and our budget.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, uh, that's going to be a point of concern next week when council does um does the workshop about budgeting uh making the city budget multi-year budgets and which is the way the city is now doing these things i guess um what what are some of the blind spots you you have going forward in terms of you know thinking about the financial impacts of these things we took we heard about some of them at the council meeting but is there anything specifically you're worried about or something you want to learn um that that kind of help can help you in understanding the full impact of some of these changes
2: wow there's so many adam like you know the infrastructure you know i i'm not well versed in the true grassroots of infrastructure and how it will be impacted water uh, again that's another i don't understand a whole lot about how you know water will be impacted by these with this kind of accelerated growth um and and it, it, is it truly going to make affordable housing when uh, you know what? What's the province seeing as affordable and attainable when we know that the cost of labor, the cost cost of lumber, are, are still going to be relatively high? So, you know, how how are they deeming that these are going to be houses affordable and attainable for all? Um, if you're a lower income family, even a lower income that's making, a, you know, a living wage, is it is it going to be enough to be able to have a down payment to purchase one of these homes?
0: Right and the other factor and i think that it's not an especially war three issue but i mean war three is one of the oldest parts of town so one can imagine that there's uh a lot of the specific impacts about heritage and heritage protection things on the list that have been waiting for designation for years uh now we have two years to uh i guess designate as much as humanly possible which uh for people who don't know uh, i think the heritage staff has three two or three full-time people plus a summer student so it is how big how big of a, a concern is is heritage stuff for you now
2: it's a big concern for me because I'm, I'm, I'm a true supporter and believer in the protection of, of heritage buildings. And even if it's not, uh, you know, you can't save the building, but even the landmarks and the history that goes with it, you know, in other municipalities, you'll see houses that just have a little a plaque on them that says this was, you know, John Smith, who was a blacksmith and so-and-so was a pharmacist and um I think I think that part of our history and heritage is incredibly important, and, and Guelph has a really cool history and heritage to it. So, yeah, to be to, to put that at risk, yeah, I think is very unfortunate.
0: Mm-hmm. Are you worried about? I mean, no one runs for city council without sort of having a, a to do list of their own, um, because you know people who run for office are are residents and citizens too. Um, the things you wanted to come and council to council to do. Um, has these sort of changes from the provincial government radically changed your personal agenda? Like, uh, you, you know, it's, are, are things you came to council to do now forced to take second place because of everything that's happened in the last, you know, month and a half?
2: Well, that's funny that you say that, that nobody would run for city council without an agenda or platform of their own. So I must be the truly odd man out because (laughs) apart from the, and and I got that question a lot on my campaign trail, tell me about your agenda. I said, I don't really have one. Like I, I see my work as being your representative and for the representative of ward three, but also a representative for the city as a whole, because things that happen in, in, in ward three, you know, may impact the rest of the the residents of the city of Guelph. Well. So, um, you know, of course, you know, mental health and housing and all of those social services, I think everybody wants to do their part to help, Uh, you know, fix that system to the best that we can and have the biggest impact that we can as a municipality. But I really didn't have a strong personal agenda, Mm -hmm. other than to, to be the voice for people who maybe didn't have one of their own.
0: Well, let's look at it from that point of view, Then, from what people told you about, like their wants, their needs, um, their hopes, you know, does does you know recent events make you know fulfilling those you know that wish list that much harder i mean is are your residents forced on the to be to wait wait for their priorities on the back burner while you know council has to deal with all these provincial changes
2: absolutely and i'm not sure what that's going to look like yet but 100 percent. i mean if we have to invest you know all think of the money that's going to have to go into that accelerated growth because it's not just about oh we're going to build some more houses it's needing the money to sustain the infrastructure needing the money to sustain the water uh meeting um the space is that going to affect our parkland which is very important like there it's just so big that for sure there's going to be things that are going to have to uh fall off the plate you you know i equate it to going to a buffet, right? You can only put so much on the plate before things start to fall off. And there's going to be a lot of things that start to fall off, not to mention um, the financial impact that it could have and, and tax tax rates, which, you know, I was really hoping personally that we could try to do, you know, post COVID I knew it would be a bit more difficult, but to try to keep our tax base as low as we can, like, Definitely had to be an increase, but I'm really concerned now what what we're going to have to do in order to uh, do what the province says we are mandated to.
0: Right, right, right. Uh, let's talk to uh, some of the stuff that's coming up at next week's planning meeting. Um, one of it is one of the decisions is in Ward 3. So I found that interesting just in terms of timing. Um, the the proposed development for Enberg Road. um council or excuse me staff is recommending that that uh project which i think it's a commercial lot now that's empty um i should know because i go by there all the time but it's 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 an old commercial lot they want to put two apartment towers there with commercial on the ground floor staff says this is fine this checks all our boxes i can imagine though that uh you know there might be some concern about having two towers in an area where there aren't many towers presently so uh, this is your neck of the woods. So, you know, how do you feel so, about?
2: Which lot are you referring to? Is that the one by Enver Spe- by in London?
0: Right. Yeah. That one.
2: Yeah. So it used to be the old white rose, I think.
0: That's right. Yeah. Now that you mention right. it, yeah.
2: So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I've been around a long time. Adam. That's That's uh, fair. <laughs> I actually think it's a great spot for... Uh, residential units, there would be room for parking. It's not, you know, really impacting anybody else's living space. And I really hope that that could go through.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's similar to, I mean, it's not as big, obviously, but on the same agenda is going to be the, the uh, statutory meeting for a new development on Haddaddy Road, which isn't your ward, just so I'm just so everyone's clear. You, it's, it's, it's not your neck of the woods, but. It's 24, a plan for 24 stacked townhouses replacing a currently, I guess it's empty or nearly empty commercial plaza. Um, seems to be pretty straightforward, but I did note when the agenda was 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 posted, it's already got three delegates on it. So it could be one of these things where there's like a neighborhood impact. And I know, again, appreciating this isn't your neck of the woods. This is not an uncommon thing, I think. And I think a lot of, I, as as I can imagine, having sat through a lot of planning meetings, I can imagine a lot of the um, concerns that area people are going to bring forward. And I think this is going to be right. a this is going to be a repeated thing that this council is going to have to deal with the demand on housing, the dent, the increase in density and then neighborhood concerns about what density is going to mean for them. So I guess in terms of your thinking, maybe you could share with us a bit of, you know, how. Using this specific example, I mean, how how does council balance all these concerns, given the pressures?
2: And, it, and it's not it's not any. E, that's why the, that's why people don't want to be counselors. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> <laughs> Everyone said to me, are you crazy? <laughs> uh, it, 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 these are really, really tough decisions. And we just have to look at the 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 balance of uh, almost like, you know, that pros and cons list to make it, to simplify it to that much. You know, yes, there's going to be some negative impacts regardless of any kind of growth, wherever it is. Um, not everybody's going to be happy. So we have to look at the benefit to the greater good mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and really look at that thoughtfully and hard.
0: Right. And I guess what's the response then to... The neighborhood because i think i see this blowback again given my experience sitting through planning meetings there, there's a definite feeling that when you go through those lists you 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 know you'd look at the pros look at the cons the pros that way the cons it's still people's neighborhoods and and people you know don't like change and i and i you know right. it's 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 not so much nimbyism it's it's a, just a general fear of change and i guess um is, is, is have you thought about like maybe better ways to engage those concerns um and like and they're universal concerns they're not just limited to sort of one ward
2: they are universal concerns and that's uh, as i said infrastructure is not you know one of my areas of strength so it's certainly one that i've got a lot to to learn about but you're absolutely right i don't i agree with you it's not necessarily nimbyism it's um it's people don't like change and even yeah. when i was knocking on doors i had people say to me and before we even got the news that we have to grow twice as fast as what we thought we were growing people say you know we don't want any growth and you know you try to <laughs> yeah. explain what we, we we need to have the growth because we're such a you know a lucky area where we have so much so many so much jobs so much work available you know we have you know hospitals a long couple of long-term cares we have the university we have the city and the county which both employ a lot of people um, so much manufacturing and we have to be able to have the people to be able to keep that going so that we can uh, you know really be a vibrant community but it's hard and and, and people don't want it and, and we, we rec- I think most counselors recognize that but uh, it's it's a fact of life that we have to try to manage the best way we can you know Guelph's always had that uh um small town feel even you know even when we were a city people still and if you're a longtime resident like myself we still have that sort of small town feel to guelph you can still go down to stone road mall and run into people that you've seen (laughs) you know or haven't seen in a while and and uh you know you don't want to lose that by and i understand why people don't want to lose that but you know, mm-hmm. we, we still have to make sure that we can, can keep the community vibrant and prosperous.
0: Right, right, right. Uh, I want to ask you a couple of procedural things before we wrap up. And and one of them is somebody um, sent this to me. It's, it's a question about your your day job um, for people who don't know you work for the county of Wellington. Um as a staff member, not as a decision maker, just to make that clear. Um, Now you are uh, a decision maker at the city of Guelph. So have you considered how, I I guess how you're going to manage those two jobs because you're making decisions at the city of Guelph that will have a financial impact on your employer?
2: Well, actually, there's not very much, many decisions that I would have to make uh, that would have a financial impact on, on the city or the county. Um, I work in HR, so I hire people to work here. I'm, I'm not involved really in any of our services. Um, but And I think people think that because the social services are shared, mm. that there's a lot more control over the amount of money that goes back and forth but those the housing and social services are actually delivered by the county on behalf of the province right and there 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 are a number you know and there there's a formula on how much the city has to pay and it's basically based on uh, the level of service so uh, we go by the i believe the the social services goes by the last known address of the client requesting the service if it's a county address then that sort of would be counted in the county's service uh, level if it's if it's a person, their last known address was the city, or if they're homeless, where are you homeless? Are you homeless in the county? Are you homeless in the city? If we're building housing, more housing units or, or acquiring more housing units, the cost share is greater if that housing unit is in the county, that cost share is greater in the county. Uh, if it's for the city, it's greater in the city. So it's, it's pretty well divided. Um, there would be a very rare chance maybe if they were looking to buy some land or something, but right. I would just recuse myself, but it would be very, very rare that I would have any kind of uh, influence on any financial anything.
0: Right. And so I, I, what I'm gathering is you kind of already had some of these discussions then about sort of where your pecuniary interest lies, because I, you know, it's, it's not necessarily, um, I, I don't think this person was necessarily accusing you of skullduggery, but it's just you know sort of a <laughs> a concern that you know everything looks on the up and up and that you know you as a counselor and that the city of Guelph and and the county are just as transparent as possible. so just just so we we're, we're we're all clear that you've 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 recognized that you can potentially have a conflict of interest and have have looked to make sure that that is sorted out.
2: Absolutely. And I actually looked into that before I put my name forward to make sure, um, you know, I spoke to the the, uh, solicitor and uh, uh, said, you know, there's nothing in the act that's in fact, it's quite common, you know, uh, Scott Wilson, who was our CAO was a at the county of Wellington was a counselor at the town of Dufferin for many years and Jennifer Adams, um, who works at the region of Waterloo is now a counselor for um, Center Wellington. Mm-hmm. actually she's going to be our new she's actually now our new uh, <laughs> county clerk so i was gonna, gonna say gonna i
0: was out. gonna say yeah <laughs> she's, so, she's 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 riding an even finer line
2: <laughs> yes absolutely but uh you know i'm lucky the county is very supportive as the city is of, of me you know having both roles and and i actually see it as a great benefit because i've already got some you know well established and uh Good working relationships in in both
0: areas. Mm-hmm. No, and I and I would agree. Um, uh, December sixth is is coming up, and uh, you know, recognizing that our council is now majority female, uh, I, I feel like just you know because of the occasion, um, there's a lot of, I, I guess, um, pressure on, you know, making sure that uh, we are trying to be as, as open as possible and trying to be as inclusive as possible. So, you know, you, you have accepted the mantle of leadership as a city councilor, um, as, as a woman, um, are, it, you know, I guess, how are you feeling this December, this, as, as we approach December 6th and, and our, you know, sort of our general goals of, of trying to be inclusive and diverse and making this a, a better, safer world for, for women everywhere.
2: I think that's a no a brainer. I mean, that would, that, I, I was on the accessibility committee since 2004 at the county working to help our, you know, our, all, all our areas become diverse and inclusive and, you know, whatever work we can do to make that happen. I, I think it's really important. I would hate to see an all female council. I would hate to see an all male council. Um, I, I love the fact that we have such a diverse council. You know, apart from just men and women, there are uh, all kinds of uh, um, all kinds of people and voices that are right. that are on this particular council, and I'm I'm quite excited for that.
0: Yeah, uh, I'm, I I think I am too. Well, just to wrap up, um, and we we don't normally ask people to give their digits, so to speak, at at the mm-hmm. end of these interviews, uh, but since you are are a new counselor. Uh, I'm, I just want to give you a minute to tell people where they can find you out there in in the the digital space if they want to reach out or if they have a question or comment or concern or whatever. How can people find you on the internet?
2: Yeah, and that's great. I really appreciate that because you know you move from your campaign email address to the city <laughs> email address. So it's uh, Michelle Richardson at Guelph.ca. And just a reminder: there's only one Alan Michelle. So if you put two L, good reminder.
0: Good reminder. <laughs> <laughs> um i almost made that mistake writing the show notes for this week's episode but uh enough about me uh, and enough about you i guess we are at the end of the interview so michelle richardson thank you so much for your time today and uh good luck as we embark on this uh this crazy council journey made crazier by circumstances and uh we'll we'll, we'll have to chat again soon
2: absolutely thanks adam i appreciate you having me
0: And once again, that was Aaron Caton and Michelle Richardson. You can hear new interviews every week with Guelph counselors and other government newsmakers on Open Sources Guelph Thursdays at 5 p.m. on CFRU 93.3 FM or CFRU.ca. Also, keep visiting Guelph Politico for all the latest coverage about all the latest city council meetings which we're getting back into now that January has arrived. And that's it for this edition of the Guelph Politicast. The music for the Guelph Politicast comes from KPM Classics and Sid Dale. The Guelph Politicast is usually recorded at CFRU, Guelph Campus and Community Radio, and to learn more about CFRU, go to cfru.ca. You can download the Guelph Politicast every Wednesday from Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify, and when you subscribe to the Guelph Politicast channel, You'll get an episode of Open Sources Guelph on Mondays and an episode of End Credits on Fridays. You can follow Guelph Politico on social media at Guelph Politico on Twitter and at Politico Guelph on Facebook. You can follow me personally at Adam Donaldson on Twitter and Instagram or send me an email at adamadonaldson at gmail.com. If you'd like to help financially support the work of Guelph Politico, you can get all that information at guelphpolitico.ca slash donate. And for all the latest local political news, check out guelphpolitico.ca, where we will have a new episode of the Guelph Politicast for you next week, and until then, we will see you next time.